for me, everything changes in my coaching philosophy early on was when it shifted from winning to excellence. All of a sudden, it's about, you know, getting the best out of you and helping you get better every day a little bit. And when you start approaching it that way, you sort of de-emphasize, in my opinion, the short-term wins and you looked at the long-term growth. Welcome to Unspoken Bravery. I'm your host, Erin Milzinski, a multiple-time Olympian. Skiing started as my first love and quickly became my greatest teacher. This podcast is meant to take a deep dive behind the capes of our everyday superheroes and find out what's under the brave spirits, the fearless feats, and the nerves of steel. It's normal to feel fear. Hardships lurk around every corner, and yet these roadblocks can be met with a challenger's mindset and turned into wonderful gifts. It's time to celebrate imperfections, to build bravery from setbacks, and to take our goals to the next level. So let's dive right in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode five of Unspoken Bravery. I'm coming at you today from northern Sweden, where it gets very dark very early in the day. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to high-performance coach Max Gardner. Max grew up in Austria and attended Stam Ski Academy, which is a school in Austria which has over 50 Olympic medals to their name. However, Max really excelled as a soccer player and was signed to a professional team in Innsbruck and played many years there. Max's journey with Alpine Canada began in 1982, where he moved on to coach both the men's and women's teams, big names such as Thomas Grandy and Ed Podovinsky. After this, he became both the CEO and later the president of Alpine Canada. During this time, he was named Canadian Coach of the Year and inducted into the Canadian Ski Hall of Fame. After which, Max founded his own company with his wife, Karen Lee Gardner, who is also an Olympic gold medalist, called Gold Medal. They have two daughters and recently became grandparents. Welcome, Max. Welcome, Aaron. It's a privilege to talk to you. I'm more nervous than I should be. Now I'm like happy I put on some deodorant today. (laughs) The first thing I want to start with is your ski academy. And I think that that's kind of where you started to think about becoming a coach. And you had this really special coach there. His name was Balder Primal. Is that how you say his name? Balder Primal. Primal. Okay. And he was really focused on developing the whole person. And he makes the athlete feel like they're special to him instead of just a performance object. And so he started coaching kind of the human first, that human first approach. And that's also how you are. You're always, you feel like a safe place. I've always felt safe. Even when you were the president, you're the highest up in Canada. And I was so young and you felt like a safe place for me. And I'm just interested in how you formed this and like what it means to you. What's your why? Yeah, the why for me is uh, I like helping other people grow. I mean, I was an athlete first. That's why I went to the ski academy. I was like, a, I liked skiing, I liked soccer, I liked every sport. So for me, that time was was precious. But when I switched over from, from the athlete to the coach, the why was I always really liked helping other people grow. So that was pretty clear. And then I, I thought about what's the philosophy? What do I want to bring to the table? And I had a wonderful role model with Baldo Primal who really made you feel special and you could do anything around him. It was this certain energy that he brought to the table. So I was lucky to have this role model so early in my life. So how I do it is generally 
you know, through connecting with people, building a relationship, being interesting them as a person first, and then help them along to, to reach their goals. Yeah. And your quote on your website is a good coach changes the game. A great coach changes your life. And that means a lot to me because I've had a lot of not so great coaches. I've had a lot of good coaches and I've had these amazing coaches that have changed who I am and changed my life entirely. But you're an Austrian. And for us as Canadians, some Austrians we meet are a little bit more harsh than our Canadian culture. And did you ever have people defining you as, you know, a soft coach in the coaching world where you, you know, you felt like you might have to be a little bit harsher on the athlete, but you stayed true to who you were? And why was that so important too? Yeah, as I said, I had that role model before, but I did grow up in a fear-based, what I call fear-based coaching. That was the system I grew up in. And that's what a lot of coaches modeled themselves after. And uh, I was having that role model. I was always going like, there is a different way. And so I tried to stay true to that. Although I, you know, if you talk to people that I coached in my early years, they would say, well, you know, he was, he was not always nice to us, but I think, you know, I, I really tried to be, to make that connection with people. And then you can hold people accountable. Once the connection is there, it's not, it doesn't mean you have to be a softie all the time, but it's really important that people know you got their back. And I think that was always, for me, the, the initial phase of coaching an athlete or anybody for that matter was to build that connection that they knew, you know, they could trust me and I can, I can, I got their back in any case. I'm there for them. That was sort of the underlying thing. But then sometimes as you use tactics along the way and, you know, you get to this, this places where, where people get stuck and you need to get them to the next level, you use, certain things to try to get them there. And that sometimes is, you know, you have to be a little bit more to the point. And uh, so so I wouldn't say I was a softie per se, but in the world of coaching, certainly in the Austrian philosophy of coaching, I was certainly ahead of the game. And I, w- I would say I was a softie in that regard. Wow. There's so much that I want to remember to ask you and to think about here, because for me, a lot of skiing is kind of not getting over fear, but learning to work with that fear. For a lot of people, it's fear of injury. Our, our sport is dangerous. For me, it's more a fear of failure, fear of letting people down, those expectations. And so I think sometimes it's hard when someone coaches in a fear-based way because I'm already putting that on. So how do you think that you can create this high-performance environment and you have these huge lofty goals? Because that's the, the end game. We want to win medals and we want to be on the top of the podium. But how do you do that without placing these heavy expectations onto the athlete? Yeah, I think for me, everything changes in my coaching philosophy early on was when it shifted from winning to excellence. All of a sudden, it's about, you know, getting the best out of you and helping you get better every day a little bit. And when you start approaching it that way, you sort of de-emphasize, in my opinion, the short-term wins and you looked at the long-term growth. And I think that for me was key. Then also in, in this scenario, you learn to take defeat or poor performances as learning opportunities. And I was really lucky again, I've been lucky in my life to run into Terry Orlick early on. And he was sort of guiding me in that direction a lot. Because he was working with elite performers in Canada and he had a very soft approach. So I got that, I got that sort of feedback that it's okay to be that way. So yeah, I, I was just really lucky to have some role model and, and the right people in my life at the right time. I love that you brought up Terry because Terry was my first sports psych. I started working with him because 
there was a bit of a issue in my career and I started working with him and Terry was so special to me. And he actually was at the same university that my um, current sports psych learned at as well. And so I think a lot of us have this past with history that is so special. A lot of athletes that I've talked to too, he, they've read his book and he was kind of this pioneer in his way of thinking. And this brings me to something that maybe we're jumping all over the place, but now that we mentioned Karen and we were talking last night. So Karen was an amazing athlete. She had two knee injuries and interrupt me if I'm wrong. She had two knee injuries. And I think you were thinking, okay, that's it. Hang up the boards. This is, this is dangerous. This is painful. But she said, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. I want to win an Olympic gold medal. And I know I can win an Olympic gold medal. She had watched her teammate do it. Um, she had, she knew she was there. And so she made a comeback and she was working with Terry, which is really special to me because I worked with Terry and it's kind of going across all of these decades of Canadian skiers. But you told me something really special that hit home. And I think some of us, when we're meditating or we're practicing mindfulness, it's very normal to hear, go to your happy place or go to a place where you feel calm. And I would love for you to share what Terry told Karen to do. Yeah. So Karen, maybe it's just, I just started at the very beginning. She yeah. grew up in Rosslyn, BC, just down the road from Nancy Green. And when she was a little kid, she played with Nancy's medal. She didn't really know Nancy, but she knew the, the parents. And so she, as a little girl, thought, I'm going to win one of those. She had no idea what, you know, what it takes to get to that place, but she was convinced that she was going to win a gold medal. So in 1988 and her first Olympic appearance, it didn't happen. Like she had just a knee injury before it didn't happen. And she was devastated that she wasn't, that she wasn't winning. So following that, and she saw her teammate, Karen Percy, win two bronze medals. And I think she really focused on the 92 Olympics and we tried to plan her program with all the details of how we, how we're going to get prepared for that race. I was coaching with the men's team at the time, but we were already married. So she came in and we, we worked together and we actually rented our own apartment in, in Marybelle. And one of the things we've talked about is to be, you know, performing at your best is to be as relaxed as you can be and feel really comfortable because when the Olympic pressure starts setting in, how do you stay in the moment and 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 so one of the things that Terry advised was make sure you are super relaxed at the starting gate. So we used the meditation piece and the the very special place was the start height of the Olympics. So that the, the goal was to get her totally comfortable with that environment. When she gets in there, she's been there many, many times in her mind. And yeah, I think I think it worked out. But it was Terry's idea to incorporate that. And, and then she executed on that many, many times leading up to it. And I've never heard of that before. And I want to try it. And we were just talking last night about it, but you know, I wouldn't think of my safe place or my place of calm being the start gate of the Olympics. I remember in Vancouver, I looked, I was telling myself, it's just a normal race, take it as a normal race. And I was 19 and I looked down and I saw the Olympic rings and I thought, this is not a normal race. Like no matter what at the Olympics, it's not normal. And so to make the start hut a safe place is is really special. But what's also special is that she made it her her safe place kind of in her mindfulness and her yeah. meditation. But she still turned to the physio and said, I am so nervous. And then went out and won Olympic gold. Yeah, it was it was an interesting moment. Like we actually went up the lift together with the team doctor at the time. And it was a cloudy overcast day. And looked at each other and I said, it's cloudy. It's just like in Rossland. She said, yeah, it's good. And I talked to her afterwards and she said, you know, 
it's not that I like to race in, in cloudy conditions. It's really going that fast, cloudy conditions. But she knew other people weren't liking it. So we were trying to turn everything into a positive. And as she was approaching, everything was going well. But as she was approaching the start gate, she said, Carl, who's the physio, Carl, I'm really nervous. And he goes, he, he knew her for a long time and had the routine figured out. And he kind of knew that he needed to diffuse it. And he said, well, you should be. It's only the most important race <laughs> of your life. And she kind of laughed and it kind of just diffused the situation. But again, it was it was just a lot, lot of you know process put in place that she had with the physio. He was there, the last person before. And then we had this ritual too, that I, I was the first guy on the on the course at the top section. And I, I'd always say, Ski safe, be safe. <laughs> Ski slow, be safe. So that was another one of those taking the pressure off, uh, which which worked for her. Like she needed to be calm and confident. It's all individual, but it's these little strategies that we we developed with the help of other people, and uh, it, it it did work. Yeah, that's so interesting, and it's interesting how each athlete needs something different. I know you've seen a lot of different athletes. Um, you've seen Eric Gay, who is. He puts in a lot of hard work. He's very type A. He, I mean, I looked up to him just for his work ethic and how he does everything, a beautiful skier. And then you have Jan Hudek, who, again, beautiful skier, so talented, but he's just a completely different athlete. And so how important is it to, and how do you do it? How do you get to know those athletes and know what they need and know kind of when to pull, when to push and make sure that you're, you know, in some ways you're as you said, you could be considered a softy because you have the athlete first approach, but also that you're putting these goals in place and you have a high performance environment. Yeah, I, th- I think first, you know, the, the, the key to the high performance piece is to understand the goal of the athlete. What are you trying to achieve? And then you're trying to help them in their way to get there. And as you mentioned, I mean, Eric and Jan couldn't be much different yeah. right? in, in, their, in their, their way they approach ski racing. So uh, you have to kind of work with that, you know. So one person, as you know, Aaron, some people are overexcited to start. Some are not excited enough. And to try to find the strategies for each one of them is is crucial. And I also think the athletes have to be ready for the process. Um, You know, in the lead up to 2010 Olympics, I tried to introduce Terry Rolick to the men's team. The coach didn't, well, we don't need a head doctor. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we don't need somebody that just shows weakness. And, and the athletes, uh, it rubbed off a little bit on some of the athletes. They weren't ready. And you've been to the Olympic Games and the, the home Olympics in particular, you know, at some point it's going to hit you, right? And you better be prepared for that. So you can ignore it and can tell yourself a million times, it's just another race. It's just another race. But when you get up that chairlift and you hear all the Canadians yelling, you win gold for Canada, <laughs> like all of a sudden it hits you. And if you don't have any strategies in place, you know, your adrenaline is going to shoot in. Your chemistry is going to be completely different. And you better have some strategy to get you to that race mode that you need to have to perform the best. And so I would say like our men's downhill team, we we could have done it. Uh, you know, Eric did come fifth, which was a good result, but some of them were not ready yet in their career to, to take that on and actually start to go into these areas. They were still thinking, oh, we don't need that. And I think it's evolving for athletes as they go on, but it's so important and, and people can't start early enough to work with, with their, their mind and getting themselves into that, that right process. 
Yeah, I completely agree. And I have some parents asking me, should my daughter or son work with a sports psychologist or a performance coach or something? And I said, absolutely. It's, it's, as you said, it's never too early to start. And I think, I think of it like a tool box. Some people think of it like a golf, I don't know, a golf quiver, I guess. You're never going to use a putter when you need a driver and to develop those tools early. And, and I love that. I mean, I don't, but I love that he said it's a, called it a head doctor because it just shows how far we've come and we have a long ways to go, but now so much emphasis now is put onto the mental game. And I think that that's why it's so cool sitting here talking to you and seeing what you do as well. We've talked a lot about off air. We've talked a lot about trust and vulnerability, and that's something I try to put forward. And I think you really try to put that forward too. And when we, sometimes I think we can be seen as weak by putting it forward, you know, as a female athlete, if we are emotional, we're seen as weak or mentally weak. Some people are thought of as lazy. I'm sure a lot of people said that about Jan. He had a lot of different things that he needed to do to get out of his own way. But when we start placing these definitions on people because of the way they process things or by them being vulnerable or showing you trust, what what do you think we miss out on by not being vulnerable and not showing trust? You know, I'm being vulnerable here. And sometimes I I worry that people think that I'm completely lost and I'm searching, but really I'm just trying to show part of the process and part of what a lot of athletes go through. But sometimes it's seen as soft or weak, like you as a coach, sometimes that can be seen if you try to get to know the athlete. And what do we miss out on if we think that way? Yeah, I think you can't really connect without being vulnerable. I mean, it's, 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 if you keep uh, a certain distance, the connection will not be as good as it can be. And it's the same in relationships. It's the same in an athlete coach relationship. You have to, you have to share what you're scared of. You need to share your, your fears and they're completely normal. And I think what's happening sometimes when coaches put on this, this air that you're vulnerable, but I'm, I'm not right. So I think the coach also has to be vulnerable in a sense. You know, it's a journey that goes both ways. And I think you're all of a sudden as an athlete going, well, like he's got some fears too. Oh, you know, and I think it's people think it's weak, but I think it strengthens the connection. For me, that's always been the case. Uh, and I, I have many stories as a coach. You also on the sort of a performance you're trying to perform, and I have made lots of mistakes along the way. So, you know, being much aware of those mistakes and and learn from them, and I don't mind sharing them. So it's not like this relationship where the athlete looks up at the coach and the coach got it all figured out. It's a journey. And uh, the coach makes, you're always as a coach, you're making decisions. You're trying to manage risk. You, there's a lot going on in the coach's perspective. You make mistakes. And I think to be able to share those with fellow coaches or even with athletes, I think it's, it's crucial for a coach to become the best they can be as well. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's cool because for us, coaches are a little bit superheroes. You know, we really look up to them. We rely on them. We expect them to be unfazed, unbreakable and show up every day as their best. And now that I'm thinking a little bit more about it too, sometimes, you know, coaches on race day, they get this sense of fear as well. And I think that a lot of the times that is out of their control at that point, they try to do their best. And that's, that's scary too. And it's interesting because for me, it's so important to learn every day to make each mistake count so that I'm moving forward. I'm learning either as a person or as an athlete. And it's so cool to see some coaches. It, I find put the blame 
back on other people. And then the coaches that can be open and kind of put the ego aside and, and really admit those things, they learn so much and they can be those not only difference makers, but like those life changers. And I think that that's really cool to come on the other side of that and see that. But do you have any stories where you had, you know, a setback as an athlete or you made a mistake as a coach where it just completely made you do a 180, you changed who you were as a person, how you thought of things and like said, this will never happen again. I've learned from this. Is there one moment that you can think of? Not to put you on the spot. There's there's lots of moments, but I'm thinking about one early in my career was coaching at Podovinsky, Gary Mullen, when they were just trying to make the national team. And I think uh, I was very close. Gary was a late bloomer and uh, he was struggling to be recognized in the system because he was physically not the same level as other ones. And we was late in the year. We were at a Norm race in Mount Bachelor downhill. And I was always very, uh, it was hard for me to push athletes when the conditions were really terrible. And I remember that, you know, there was like lots of people went out. People were falling out all the place. And I went on the radio and I, I basically said to Gary, conditions are not good. I described everything that was happening. I didn't sugarcoat it at all. And then I said, you can make a decision. I, I am okay if you don't start. And he ended up starting and he did make it. And But we talked about it a lot afterwards. And, and he actually wrote it in his book. Uh, he, and I went like, Carrie, that was not fair for me to put that into your shoes. I should have made that decision. And I, I, I recognize at the time, I have to make that call. At this point, to put it in his shoes, he was a young athlete, wasn't fair. And But he took it around, he turned it around and he said, you know what, Max, you showed me you cared more about me than me making the national team or making that race. So it strengthened our connection. But I learned the lesson that, you know, in a situation like this, I have, I cannot put it back on the athlete to make that call. So I learned my lesson. I think it worked out well for both of us, but it certainly, you know, that was one that stuck with me early in my coaching career. That's really cool too. You learned the lesson that you can't put that on the athlete and you kind of have to help with those decisions. And that's something that a coach has to take on. And sometimes I think about it too, because I'll, I'll try to decide if I want to do another training run and maybe I'm tired and it's a little bit dangerous. And the coach helps me make the decision. And that's a lot of weight on their shoulders if something happens. And, but I think that when you have that trust, you also know that the person's not going to turn around and blame the coach when it's that trust and respectful relationship that it's, um, you're doing it together, you're deciding together. But it's pretty cool how he turned out that around as well and learned a lesson that, Again, because you were vulnerable, you shared that maybe you weren't completely sure what was going on, that you really cared about each other. And I think that that's really special. And that's that's something that from what you said previously, and I've talked to friends about it, how do you think you develop that respect? Do you think it comes first from the trust and then you get the respect? Or how do you think you build that relationship when it matters? Yeah, I think, you know, trust is is the key of everything In, in an athlete coach relationship. I always say, like, especially on race day, athletes are super hyper alert. Like, they yeah. and they know you, right? So they look in your eyes, and if if you're starting all of a sudden getting nervous or fidgety, they can they know something's wrong, right? So I think that trust is everything, and what you can control, in my opinion, on that side is just be totally honest. Um, so I will never you I would never be on a on the course and say, well, the course is running great, but it isn't. Yeah. Right. But I have to know who is at the start. Who am I talking to? How am I going to deliver that message? So I know that their frame of mind is still 
the way it should be to go down the course. So, and I, I, I say that to coaches a lot of times, you, you blow that once, they'll, you'll, they'll never believe you again. Because you though, if you always hear the course is great and then you come down those big holes, you go, so next time the coach says, course is great, you go, well, he always says that. So the, so it's really, really important that you never break the trust and you be honest. And sometimes in the short term, it might be not helpful, right? You might, you might miss, you know, I mean, you might throw somebody off by saying, hey, there's a hole down here. I want you to ski, you know, be very cautious or take this line. That's not maybe the fastest line, but, but I think that is, you've got to take some of those short-term hits to keep building that trust. So when you, and in downhill racing, it's when you, when you go in down 120 Ks an hour and you make an adjustment over jump, you better know that there's got to be hundred percent trust. What you say to the athlete, they'll take it, they take your word for it. So you miss that once. And that's that's a that's a, a big lesson I think that coaches have to recognize. Never take that and go, I, well, I'm just gonna not say that because we might we might not win that race today. So you have to be a lot, looking a lot more long term in that respect. Wow. Yeah. That really hit home too. It's I've told people before, it takes a long time to build trust, I think. And sometimes mm-hmm. it can take a second to lose it. But if you have that really, really solid trust, what I've found is that those people in that trusted circle I have, they could say anything to me and the trust stays. Yeah. You know, you kind of have to build it first. And even if you miss it once, but you've built it, I think it can stay. But it's while you're building it, you can't, like you said, they have to, you're our eyes on the hill a lot of the time. And we come to you and trust you completely. And and I think that that's, it's pretty cool to see how you're doing things, putting the athlete first and caring because as an athlete standing at the top of the hill and hearing a course report, hundred percent of my trust goes to that coach and they're my eyes down there. They're, they know what's going on and I trust them to make a decision to keep me safe, to help me do well, you know, and to reach these goals. And I think what I have struggled with is, you know, I, I have set these lofty goals for sure. And what I've picked up over time are the expectations and, I don't know, the goals of others maybe, because I really care about my coaches. I really care about relationships. When I build a relationship, it lasts forever. And that's something, I don't know, do you have advice for me to set that down a little bit? Because when I stand in the start, I want to stand in there and I want to push out strong to show what my coaches have done, to show how hard they work, to show how strong of a nation Canada is. And I take that on my shoulders and it's heavy. And that's something that I would love to hear, I don't know, some advice from you as well, because you've been there and you've been there from both sides, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from a coaching perspective, you just got to lighten that load. You know, you got to lighten that load because nobody can ski with all that expectations. So you have to, you have to somehow find a way to um, take some of that load off because that pressure could be just, it it could just, the fear, fear of not, not following through with the results could just really freeze you up so i think that the key is for for you to perform you have to load load. you have to start thinking about you know what am i trying to do we talked about yesterday about enjoyment finding some way of you know making some great arcs starting to focus to something that allows you to get in that flow state versus the fear and expectation state so that's the that's the hard thing and and i the hardest thing is for people that really really work hard have super high expectations they 
take that pressure with them. So as a coach, my approach is to take the load off. You know, it's just, let's just focus on the skiing. Let's just focus on having, making some great arcs. We'll look at the results later. And if it doesn't work out that day, we've learned some lessons. We're going to get better. Plan, execute, debrief. Plan, execute, debrief. That's just generally the, the circle of mastery. And that's where, if you look at that, you just go, okay, well, if it doesn't happen today, it's not, you know, it's it, you're lightening the load for the moment. You want to keep in the long run. It's good to have motivation and, and it helps you. But I think the short term and goals, but in the short term, you got to lighten the load on. I think that's that's my advice. And that's what I would do, you know, if I work with you and on the coaching perspective, I would just de-emphasize like it's not the end of the world this isn't going to change your life because nobody can take on all that and still perform it's too much to ask and still feel the enjoyment and then yeah you know show that joy and make those you know for me it's those really rhythmical arcs and really you know i have a smile on my face as i'm saying it because i sit in flow state a lot of the time in training and i love feeling that rhythm and thinking we do more than a turn a second so thinking before anything happens if you're thinking into the future you can't be present and you're going to make a mistake. You have, you can't judge it. There's no judgment there. And you kind of leave that to the side. And now I'm trying to find a way to leave that to the side. And so I think that you're right. It's, it's kind of focusing on that skiing, that arc, leaving that to the side. It's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> it, it is very hard. And, and I think that's especially, that's especially when you are that person that wants to do it so badly and wants to do it for all the right reasons. And it's not a selfish thing. It's like you're doing it, like you're telling me, you're doing it for your sponsors, for the country, for like, there's a lot of load on your back. You got to get that load off. Um, that's what's going to allow you to be free and let it happen versus make it happen, right? We, that's, that's a really, really crucial distinction between trying to make it happen versus letting it happen. And when you get to that state where you all of a sudden you, you, you're confident and you go, I guess nothing, I just... I'm here. I'm prepared. I'll just make some arcs, right? Whatever, whatever the key word for you is, but just let it happen. And uh, that's the pressure takes the enjoyment out of it. And when the enjoyment is gone, it's not, you know, letting it happen. You're trying to make it happen. Pressure is a privilege, but pressure is also really heavy. And you just gave me a book about pressure, but then what is your take on pressure? Like, how do you sit there and think of it like a privilege. Like I am privileged to live this life where I am, I'm probably not ever going to be as good at something else in my life as I am at skiing, you know, especially for so long. Yeah. And that is a privilege that I'm sitting here saying that. And I, I have had a lot of people help along the way, but that with that, I feel comes a lot of pressure. And as, as Naomi Osaka said in her documentary, she feels like the vessel that everyone puts so much in and she has to be the one, you know, her coaches and her parents and her, her teammates and Japan, she's this vessel and she has to go and perform her thinking that that's a lot of pressure. And you've seen a little bit how it affects her. You've seen her be a little bit emotional and maybe not, not even not handling it. I think it's very normal. It's there's so much on her shoulders. And so how do you, what's your take on pressure? And then what do you do as a coach to kind of regulate that? Yeah, I think the, I think the pressure is a privilege. I like the saying too. And I think the, the way I look at it is it's a privilege in a sense of you've put yourself in position to do something exceptional. That's the privilege. You've done all the work. You've worked hard and like not many people can be up there going, 
if you didn't all the work and you weren't a contender, you're not going to be feeling that pressure. But you know, you've done the work, you've put it all in. That's the privilege piece. But then the, the piece, again, I'm going back to, again, lo- lighting the load, not carrying that with you going, oh my God, like I'm, I'm feeling the pressure. I got to deliver. That outcome thing has to go away, right? So, it, so use it in a sense of, hey, it's normal to feel pressure. You know, if I wouldn't feel pressure, I wouldn't have, I would have no chance to win this race, but I feel it because, and that's normal, right? Just then, then you do your thing of diffusing it. I'm sure you've been working on that. And I think it's something, you know, that, that with the help of your mental coach or whatever you do, like that, that's something that's where you're, that's where it's going to happen for you. You are a model athlete, Aaron. I mean, you're, you do everything to the T perfection. So for you, it's just getting that load off your shoulder and let it happen. And you know what? If it doesn't happen, it's not meant to happen yet. Yeah. Didn't happen for Karen in, in Calgary. And she was like going, but I'm supposed to stand on that podium. Yeah. And it can be heartbreaking when you know you've put yourself in a position to feel the privilege of pressure and to fail or yeah. to, I mean, she for sure thought of it as a failure. And, and I think she was eighth. Yeah. Which is not a failure at yeah. the Olympics, but she said, this is where I want to be. And I think that would have been really hard if she hadn't been there. But I think that it's also a reality that a lot of us sit here and we're like, that's where I've worked to be and I'm meant to be. And Karen said the same thing. And then she got there. But what would you have done if she didn't get there? We were married for three years. So I was in the supporting role and coaching role, which was kind of a little, another difficult in itself. But my first thing was I wanted to be happy. Right. It was, it was like, that was, that's what I felt the pressure is. Oh my God, if it isn't, isn't going to happen, she's not going to be happy. So that was the pressure that I, I felt because I think the supporting piece were what the people that love you want for you is to be smiling and be happy. And that's what they're, that's their biggest thing. If it wouldn't have happened, life would have gone on. You know, we would still be married for 30 (laughs) some years and uh, we still have kids. We're fortunate to have all that, but it's not the end of the world, right? It, the journey is, is continuous and skiing is a part of the journey. I think that's another piece to remember at the time you think, oh my God, like I got only two more years. I got only one more year. I got only six races. I got one race. This is the Olympics. I'm never going to be here again. It's that performance and demand, but it only can happen when you de-emphasize and go, but life is going to go. There's the sun's coming up the next day, right? So yeah, it's kind of counterproductive in a way. Like it doesn't make sense, but it's the way for you to take that load off your shoulders and, and, and let it happen. Yeah. And I think it's, it's kind of some of the work I've been doing is separating who I am as an athlete or actually separating who I am as a person from my results as an athlete, you know, separating who I am from what I do and how well I, I do it. And that's what I've said. But I think that can be said with so many things. I think in society now, social media doesn't help. We feel like the people we love won't be proud of us until we get that next paycheck, until we have something super successful happening, until we're perfect at everything. And I think what athletics really shows is that the people that really care about you just want you to be happy and just want you to be really proud of yourself in what you're doing and, you know, come to the finish line with a smile on your face, not necessarily because 
that was the most fun run ever because we're still in a high performance sport, but because you executed and you felt that flow and you, you did what you came there to do. And then however, everyone else stacks up is how they stack up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think you're absolutely right. Uh, It's in the end of the day, it's how people remember you is, you know, was she a good teammate? She was kind. She was supportive. You know, how did she come six times on the podium, three times on the podium, one time on the podium? That goes away afterwards. So I think, you know, you just, you, you, it's absolutely the first thing you have to remember as an athlete is your results are not you. There's a person and there's a results. And if the two get mixed together, then I think, you know, that's very difficult for you to, to go on that journey because you're you're going to bounce up and down like crazy, <laughs> right? So there's a competitive nature in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this. So you want to do well. You want to. It's all very normal, and that. And I think that you don't want to d- diminish that, but never mix the two things. I think that's the that's a big lesson for young athletes. Yeah, and bringing it to young athletes again. I had a parent ask me the other day because sometimes with you have two daughters and. Steph and I had a some time on the team together. I was older, but, and I think sometimes parents can really emphasize races. You know, we go about training days and we, whatever, eat lucky charms before training days and we go to bed late or we do whatever. And then all of a sudden race day comes and we might travel to a new location. And all of a sudden it's okay. Make sure you have eggs for breakfast. So you stay full and make sure that you go to bed at a certain time. And this emphasis at such a young age is placed on the race days. We're really the race day is kind of when the work is done, and that's where you're just kind of set to push out of the start and perform and show what you've been doing. And how much do you think that that starts kind of at a young age? And how do you make sure that you know your athletes and your kids are able to separate results from who they are at a young age, but also kind of not de-emphasizing races, but making sure that that race day is just for them to show what they're doing. And it's kind of no different from training day then. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really important. Uh, the, again, the emphasis early on, you want to test out what all the training it did. Is it going to work when it really counts, right? You want to test that out, but if it doesn't test out, you learn something from it. So again, as a parent, you, you want to be, make sure that they learn, they develop, you want to know exactly what journey they're on, where, you know, which part of development phase they're in. But don't just look at the board and look at the time and go, oh, my God, you know, Johnny just came 25th and supposed to be 10th. And and that goes for the parents and that goes for the, the coaches as well. The problem I see is there's so much, there's so early sele- selections are a big part of developing or moving up in the ranks. So the coaches want to showcase how their, their grade work early and they want to they want to establish themselves as being a great coach. So they're looking at the, the results. The parents want the results because they're paying the bills and they want to make sure that their athlete makes the next team and makes the selection. So I think that that whole selection process needs to be de-emphasized in the, in the earlier years. So people are actually uh, getting away from you know, using this special wax to be fast. I never <laughs> allowed that my, my girls to have a special wax. There was a dad. They're putting all this powder on it. Go, you don't need the powder. Just make some good turns. Yeah. So I do get it because I'm a parent as well. I went through it as a parent as well, how you want the best for them. But, uh, and I fortunately know the, the business enough that, that you do value the right things. But it is hard when the whole system is geared on got to perform right now, make the selection. And I come from a system in Austria where there's so many people trying to get there. 
all the coaches are doing is selecting. Yeah. Which is really not how you develop people. Yeah. Right? It's because how you get rid of people. It's how you get rid of people. But you 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 know, you're looking at a young athlete and you look at, you know, where they're in the journey. Do they need physical are we still working on foundation here? There it's supposed to be way more long term than short term. And if if there's anything we could change in the system is is having a little more of a long term view and providing a bit of an environment. Sure you want to test yourself and, and go out and compete because that's fun. But but de-emphasize again the like now or never, right? At age twelve or ten or whatever it is, because that gets too many people for thinking short term. And I always said, you can give me a bunch of eleven year old kids and I can make them go really fast. But am I gonna help them become a champion down the road? Probably not. I have to at that stage build I'm still working on building the foundation. I wish we put the coaches on the back once the athlete makes something at the highest level and we go, well, who did I work with along the way? They did their job. Yeah, it's really cool to see because I think we have this doggy dog world where there's, you always feel like there's five spots and you have to be on one of those five spots. And it doesn't maybe feel like we always support each other moving up there. I mean, I was, I didn't have a great experience with a lot of other girls on the team because I think sometimes it's like, you know, there's three spots to get on the Ontario team and you're all in time trial to get there. And then after that, then there's, you know, five spots on the national team and you're all in time trial to get there. And so it's kind of like, it's now or never, like you said, it's doggy dog. And it's kind of doesn't feel like there's enough space to rise up. And for me, it doesn't feel like that's a way to make a nation rise up, you know, and in Canada, it's actually amazing. You know, Britt Richardson, she's new on the team. This was her first summer having a summer camp, whereas, and she's 18, whereas a lot of these Europeans are five years old having a summer camp. And so it's really cool what a great nation we are starting things a little bit more delayed. But I think sometimes that, you know, as you said, that selection criteria. And for me, maybe that's something that I want to ask you because the whole basis of the podcast is bravery. And I see a lot of bravery come from these moments where we've had setbacks or, you know, for you standing on the hill, I think it was really brave of you to show that you made a mistake with your athlete and then brave of you to fix it. But also it was even brave of you in the first place to show some vulnerability and say, okay, I, I don't know. But how do you think that, I guess it's a two-part question. How do you think a coach can instill bravery in their athletes? And your website is gold medal and not medal as in what hangs around your neck or, you know, what's, what's on your silverware. It's metal that is strength of character. It is I'm going to read this. It exemplifies a person's ability to cope well with difficulties or face a demanding situation in a spirited and resilient way. And I've said, I'm kind of the master at getting back up, putting one foot in front of the other, but it's in a spirited and resilient way. And how would a coach, how do you make sure that the athlete is getting up in that way? Not just getting up, but getting up bravely. You just reward, you just focus as a coach. Not you, you, Again, you de-emphasize the winning short term. You start to pick out things where you see them being resilient, stepping out, doing something that is maybe nobody else noticed it, but you noticed what they did. And I think, you know, they, maybe somebody goes out in the first run and they go over and talk to the volunteers or bring the volunteers. Like, you just things like that, that all of a sudden they realize there's more to this game than this race. Right. So I think that's that's one area. It's just focusing as a coach into areas where you see something that 
you know, you put an athlete aside that that was really cool. You know, that was brave what you did going to an award ceremony of one, you know, you want to win that race. Somebody else wanted, you showed up. I, I will always remember in 2009 world championships when Johnny Kuchera won the world championships downhill and Eric showed up at the award ceremony. And I knew Eric in his heart, like it was his turn to win. Johnny was too young. It was his turn to win, but he showed up and it was a magical night. This, you know, snow was coming down and, and, and Johnny was up there and the Canadian flag was waving. And I, and I look over to Eric and I, I said afterwards, I said, that was like, I, I'm glad you came. That was awesome. I get the ship is what I think about yeah. because that's what it's about. And that is really special to me hearing that because that is, you're right. That's exactly what it's about. And that's what will set people apart. And, you know, when I won, one of the biggest things that I remember is looking down off the podium and my teammate, Maddie Irwin, was crying, watching, not because she she deserved to be there. She's such a hard worker. She's amazing, amazing skier, but because she was proud of our team, because she was proud of what I had done. And for me, she was proud that day as well. And she made my day so mm -hmm. much special. And it's times like that, like you said, sometimes it's not our results that people remember long-term. And sometimes it's hard to remember that because you know, even in a podcast, I introduce people by, you know, you're in the sports hall of fame. Yeah. You are one coach of the year and it's hard not to get so locked up in that next best thing that you forget the process to get there and who you are a little bit along the way. And it's been really cool for me to go on my journey with you there, because I think that as you told that story, I got goosebumps too, because I was thinking, now this is what sets you apart as a coach by rewarding those small successes sometimes, by rewarding those times of bravery, by re rewarding the resilience and by even noticing. And I mm -hmm. think that that sets you apart and it shows, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm like, that's it. And that shows how special and how important you are and why your whole website and everything is your whole company is gold medal, you know, and Karen won this amazing gold medal and you were such a part of her journey. But you know, what's crazy is to think all these athletes that you've helped along the way and you've had this amazing legacy and I'm one of those athletes and, and it's pretty cool what you've done in the sport. Thanks, Aaron. I mean, I, I, it's been a privilege. Like it's actually been a privilege to, to do this. Uh, I think it's always, you have to think about it. If somebody, if somebody, if you take somebody in your care, uh, that's a privilege. And I've, I've always uh, felt that, that, and I, my biggest accomplishment is that I'm most with most athletes that I worked with. I still have a good relationship after their, wow. and that's what I'm most a part of. Yeah, and I think that that's so special because we see a lot of people leave the sport with a bad taste in their mouth, and we're trying to find ways to make it to change that. And we're coming up with ideas and putting ideas forward. But sitting here talking to you, it seems easy. Put the human first before everything else and get to know them, build that trust, you know, focus on that legacy. Make sure that you are, you don't have those moments when you lose that trust, especially because of ego or something. And these people will become, I don't know, you have two daughters, you have a grandchild, but you have a lot of children that, that you've raised through the ski community. And the ski community is really special. And I think we all have seen that and we know that, like it takes a village, but 
you've been a pioneer in that village and, and you have a lot of children that look up to you that way. And for me, it's really special because I came in as a girl, as a teenager and to have you be there as a safe place, that was really special. So thank you for that. Thank you for coming on here. And thank you for, I mean, being here, you're on a special mission here in um, Cab Dallas and Levy in Sweden. And I we love having you here. And I think what you're doing is so important. So thank you. And I can't wait to talk again because we can dive into a hundred <laughs> more things, but just thank you. Thank you yeah. for what you've done for me and for what you've done for all of those athletes along the way that you've, I don't know, it's really cool. This village you've built. Well, thanks, Aaron. I mean, I, you know, this is like, you're giving me way too much credit here, but, uh, it's been a privilege and an honor for me to do that. And I'm still, luckily, I'm still involved and get to go out in the field of play, which is really cool. Yeah. And well, keep going. And thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And it's lucky for us. It's our privilege and our pleasure to have you here. And I hope you stay here for as long as you want to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Unspoken Bravery is hosted by me, Aaron Milzinski, produced by the team at Ginny Media and was created during the Podcast Accelerator program. Thank you for listening to Unspoken Bravery. My goal with this podcast is to connect with you through real life experiences. So I would love to hear from you. A hello, feedback, future ideas, you name it. You can reach me on my Instagram account at Aaron Milzinski or head to my website, aaronmilzinski.com. If you like the podcast, please share, review and subscribe. I hope to see you back here to uncover your own hidden superhero. Superhero.